A rough start to the road trip for the Celtics and another night of generating decent looks and just missing them all. Plus, we're going to decide what each Celtics player's New Year's resolutions should be next on First to the Floor. It's going to be First to the Floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. That's not the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice the body. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Joining me on this one, Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, happy new year, man. How you doing? Happy new year. Yeah, Ben, I'm feeling a little bit like that rim uh, from, from last night. <laughs> you know, bad. my kids in the last week and a half been in daycare for two days. We've had family in and out. I drank a little too much, ate a little bit too much. So, you know, I, I as crazy as it sounds, I'm kind of looking forward to getting back to a little bit of normalcy. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the, the glitchy start to the live stream there, which hopefully <laughs> we'll edit out for the Celtics blog feed listeners. Um, yeah, this is my first day back at work. So uh, I think for me, just getting back into the swing of things, actually having time to, to watch games more consistently yeah. and focus on you know, the analytical aspects of it and producing more content for our YouTube channel. So uh, it was a great little break there, Christmas and New Year's, but I'm happy to get back to it. Now, look, 123-111, the final score in the Celtics loss to those pesky Denver Nuggets who now are the holders of the uh, the, the coveted Denver Cup. We're not going to spend too much time talking about the game. The Green with Envy podcast, they released a pod on this feed yesterday right after the game. So once you're done here, check out that pod if you haven't already. That said, Spoonie, what were your main takeaways from this one? You know, I think a lot of times when you lose, or not a lot of times with this team, but uh, that recent five losses out of six games skid, especially those first couple losses, there was real reason to be somewhat alarmed with the way the team was playing, um, settling for bad shots, not moving themselves, not moving the ball quickly, playing slow. Um, the defense, I thought, has looked good. I think we were second in defensive rating for the month of December, so I had no concerns with the defense, but the offense really skidded to a halt. I don't feel that way about that Nuggets game last night. I thought the ball was moving. They were getting open shots. I thought Tatum missed, I think, three straight threes to start the game, and then he was like, all right, I'm not doing that anymore, and he was relentlessly attacking people going hard to the rack and Jalen probably was the only guy you could say who had a great game last night. So honestly, it's boring to say, but that game was straight up just shooting variants. Like Denver did not miss and we're airballing wide open three, like Malcolm Brogdon airballed what two threes or something like that. And he's like 46% on the year. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, I think Jalen Brown referred to it in his post-game interview as an anomaly, referring to the Nuggets shooting yeah. 57% from three. And maybe you could say, like, if we really want to dive into it, Spoonie, like, the Celtics are somewhat to blame for at least setting the table for that shooting performance in their aggressive double-teaming of Jokic and giving guys like Bruce Brown, like, not typically good three-point shooters, obviously that's part of the game plan to give up those shots, but Scal said it maybe 50 times on the broadcast, you give that guy a couple of open looks early in the game, suddenly he's knocking all of his shots down. He was four for four, I guess, in the first, I don't know, three quarters, end of the game, four for six overall. And and we just saw the ball, you know, fizzing around there on the perimeter, what, the Nuggets working the ball around off of those, those double teams on Jokic and finding really good open looks and allowing those guys to get going. Then we go away from the double team to address that. Jokic gets going, unstoppable one-on-one in the post, whether it's Batman, Grant Williams were throwing at him, 
Al Horford, who amazingly can stop guys like Giannis and Joel Embiid, completely ineffective when it comes to defending Jokic in the in the post as well, which just you know is to sing the praises of Jokic and how effective he is uh, in all facets, particularly offensively. I just feel like we opened it up for them early spoons, and once we applied a counter move, that was it, and they had run away with it at that point early on. Yeah, and I mean, I, I agree. I think there absolutely was some of that, and that's something I always kind of preach. That's one of the things I always go back to is you want to get your role players involved early, get them feeling comfortable, but they shot like 70% from three. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> uh, that is In a game, we lost by 11-12, so... I think Jalen's right. It was an anomaly. Jokic obviously had a monster game, 30, 12, and 12, but he only took 13 shots. Mm. So I do think we did a pretty decent job of limiting him just completely destroying us. I don't know. It's tough. It's weird to say that about a guy who had 30, but he went 10 of 13. You got to think he made two for two from three, like a couple of those rainbow threes, like one of those doesn't drop and all of a sudden he's at 27, you know, and that's a rebound and it goes the other way. Basketball is a game of runs. It just felt like every time we clawed back by going hard to the rim, getting fouled, making tough layups um, or pushing the pace, we did a really good job of pushing the pace, getting out in fast breaks. It was like Bruce Brown hits a three, Michael Porter Jr. hits a three, Jokic hits a three. And it's like, man, I know that, yeah, the doubling, if, you, if you're going to take anything away from this game, I think you probably need to question what Joe Missoula's game plan was against Jokic because doubling him, you just can't. You just got to live with him. Like Jokic doesn't want to take 25 shots, right? He's not a Tatum or a Brown or a Luka. Like he wants to take 13 shots and impact the game with his passing. And you're inviting him to do that by sending the doubles early and often. And like, it doesn't matter where you double from doesn't matter how you double. It doesn't matter how you mix it up. It works against Embiid. We do such a good job with it against Giannis. You can't do it against you. You just can't. He will find the open cutter or the open shooter every single time. And you play into his hands when you throw doubles at him. I thought we did a better job. Grant got cooked a couple times, but I do think he bumped him off his spot and did mm-hmm. a pretty good job. Grant should have started. And I think Joe realized his mistake and started him to in the second half. Shout out to the, the coaching intern in the, the pregame chat with Missoula. Squeaky voice in the back of the room. Hey, maybe we shouldn't double Jokic and just being completely <laughs> shut down. I dare say that nah. won't be the game plan next time around. But uh, absolutely. A, a real, uh, the Celtics really contributing to the what not to do against Jokic uh, yeah. reel of film that now exists out there in the world. They did have a couple of other good performances. Bones Highland had some big moments. Again, Scal on the broadcast described him as a roller coaster, probably more roller coastery than our experience with a, a young Marcus Smart. But he did yeah. have some some big moments in this game, and he, he hit some shots that were just like, "Come on, man, we're I not know. winning this game." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he had one highly contested, or heavily contested, sort of fall away three, where I think the Celtics had cut it to five at one point, and it was like, "Okay, yes. here we go. We found ourselves third quarter." As our mate Joe always says, games are won and lost in the third mm-hmm. quarter. It was looking like we were sort of beginning to pick up that rope and reel ourselves back in. And then Bones Highland, another one, I think, where he dribbled himself into traffic in the paint, picked up his dribble, was just completely 
lost and just overshadowed by Celtic defenders and then somehow finished with this like left-handed push shot. Yeah, the lefty push shot over two people. It's like, oh man, this is not going well, is it? Damn. So <laughs> we're officially just marking it down as just one of those nights where- One of those nights. It's not so much us not having it, the Nuggets just having everything and, and really laying the smackdown on the Celtics, the same method that the Celtics have been laying down on all of their opponents, uh, especially for the, the earlier parts of this season. Do you think there's yeah. anything to say? There were some tweets- in the Twitterverse out there, I think I saw Danger Cart with one about the lackluster defense from the Celtics. Do you think they could have done better from an effort standpoint defensively? I, I think, man, it's tough to play in Denver. Um, it, I think it's a little different if you play a series against them and you can get used to the altitude. But I mean, it is a difference when you're popping over there for one night. Um, I'm sure some of these guys went out on New Year's Eve, like, you know, they're young dudes. I did not. I was asleep by 10, but, Same. <laughs> uh, you know, the 24 year olds on this team, 25 year olds. And then you got to play Denver and like Jokic is tough to play against from, again, an effort standpoint, because he finds the open guy and you got to scramble. But also he just beats you up on post ups and his drives like he doesn't get by anyone. He just gets into you, through you, and kind of floats it over your head. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it I, I I don't know, man. I'm not too worried about the effort stuff with this one. Uh, you know, it's game 40 or whatever of a long season in the elevation against Denver. You know, it happens. I initially thought Jokic, maybe a bit of a party boy with his beers and his horses <laughs> back home in Serbia during the offseason, that that would be to our advantage, that he would certainly be out, you know, knowing that he had a home game the next day out on the town in Denver, if there is such a thing, you know, inhaling a few beers and maybe not necessarily taking the following morning's game or uh, morning in Australian time, the following night's game. Seriously, turns out his beer tolerance actually was a huge advantage to him. Uh, <laughs> That's you know, it, yeah. I, I'm sure that he went out and got effed up the night before, but as a experienced beer drinker, it was not an issue. Marcus Smart, on the other hand, m- maybe more of a my body is a temple kind of guy, yes. maybe inhaled a few the night before and not just beers, who knows, and he was particularly lackluster i thought two of 12 from the field and 12 is just a little too many field goal attempts for marcus smart i think although you can probably attribute that to him just trying to give the game what it needed at a point where no shots were falling at all but you know defensively offensively really all areas of the game i thought that he was a step slow everywhere and you know part of this this recent stretch of success for the celtics Obviously, has been very J-driven, but Marcus Smart, as we know, is always setting the table for not only those guys, but our role players as well and getting them going. And he just wasn't doing that tonight. And without that, you know, we're going to fail. Yeah, and Smart probably could have had a double-digit assist if we had a normal shooting night as well. But I thought to that point, though, Ben, he had one double where he timed it absolutely perfect right as Jokic was picking up his dribble. And how many times have we seen him time that double perfect? swipe down on the ball and it's a fast break the other way. Yeah. And he just whacked Jokic's arm and it's like, ah, oh, man, like he's just off tonight. Like totally. Smart never misses the ball in that situation. And he did and it was foul and Smart was like, yeah, I got him. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. That was just kind of a weird game from Smart, sort of a little too many, just couldn't find the balance between the shot pass and Jokic is tough for, he can handle just about any center in the league in the post other than Embiid and Jokic. And well, he had Jokic tonight and Jokic got him a few times. Too many VBs the night before is my yeah, theory. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I found myself thinking during halftime, I, I wish the Celtics could get me in as a consultant in the halftime locker room situation <laughs> as a hangover cure consultant because 
you know, I've been out. You know, I'm obviously an older gentleman now, but in my younger years here in Australia, New Year's Eve, you know, big drinking culture. And then part of it is if you're working the next day in particular is making sure that you're taking care of that hangover cure, preventing what could be a sweaty, shaky morning in the following day. Spoonie, what would your hangover cure advice have been to the Celtics had they, they called you up and, and cited your expertise? Okay, lots of people say go with the huge breakfast the next morning or whatever, all the greasy stuff. That always makes me just feel worse. Mm-hmm. So I like to keep it light, but your body, right? When you drink alcohol, your blood sugar rises and then it drops hard. So you need some sugar, you need some protein, you need some fat. You got to wow. get the balanced diet. <laughs> yeah. Greek yogurt, if you can stomach it, which Ooh. I can because it's like my favorite food. Yeah, I know. I'm a psycho. <laughs> uh, but like a Greek yogurt, cup of coffee, like not too strong, nothing crazy. Uh, maybe like a dash of milk in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like a big old... Gatorade or something like that. That's my go-to hangover cure, Ben. Do you have a magic cure? I think, yeah, electrolytes. Like, take a cold bath? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my hangover cure is uh, living in Sydney is get in the ocean. Swim in the ocean. Yes, that Wade helps. out there and, and let a huge wave crash over your face. Allow yourself to fall backwards into the ocean and for the wave to roll <laughs> over your head. And it's a baptism of sorts. When you emerge right, from the ocean, yeah. you're cured. Obviously, in Denver, in the Mile High City, not an option. The Celtics... <laughs> All NBA teams, very resourceful, get a glass fishbowl type canister of ocean water, helicoptered <laughs> to the stadium. Everyone takes a turn of plunging. Other than that, a bacon and egg roll, I think, is an excellent, uh, not mm. only pregame meal, but a hangover cure and just electrolytes and sleep. And we're getting more into the preventative measures now rather than the, the, the cures. But really, prevention uh, is the key there. Anyone? This is, this is a huge area of expertise for me. I could go on all <laughs> When, night, when you get to 35, Ben, there are no more cures. <laughs> when I was 25, I could eat and be ready to go at like 2 p.m. the next day. Now it's like two days and I'm still hurting, you know? <laughs> yeah. The ultimate cure is just don't drink at all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um Speaking of head in the clouds situations, Malcolm Brogdon, <laughs> you know, we we talk about, thank you, this game being an anomaly, particularly with the shooting for the, the Nuggets. What isn't an anomaly is Malcolm Brogdon's recent stretch. What are you seeing there from, from Brogger, uh, which is a nickname I've just uh, put on him out of nowhere. What are you seeing from him in terms of this little slump that he's in? First of all, that's a very Australian, New Brugger. Zealand type of nickname, <laughs> Brogger, mate. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, since he's come back from the hamstring injury, it just seems like one, his finishing at the rim has really been bad. And two, he can't get by anybody. And I think those two things are really related. So I don't know if that's nagging him or he's just having trouble getting back into game shape or what it is, but... Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, he's always top five in drives every single season when he was a starter playing big minutes. That is his game, getting downhill, getting to the rim, getting fouled, finishing at the rim. And then once he draws a lot of attention, then he finds shooters because I do not think he's a natural playmaker. In fact, I think he's missed Rob on lobs over a handful of times. For sure. A couple times last night, at least. I bet there's 10 or 12 since Rob's come back that he's missed them on. And it's like, you might as well not have Rob out there with him if he's not going to find him for the lob because that is like the biggest value Rob brings on the offensive side of the ball. So he needs he either needs to sit and get healthy or, you know, he just needs to get back to playing his game uh, because he's been propped up by hot shooting for like a month now. Mm-hmm. And when that goes away, like you saw last night, man, he like he looks a lot worse than Derek White. I don't know. 
right now, even yeah. though White's not been great either. <laughs> would you, if you were Joe Mazzola running the, the game back, would you have inserted Peyton Pritchard in the second half instead of Malcolm Brogdon based on how he was playing? So I saw how you, I saw you tweeted that, that 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 game was basically begging for Peyton Pritchard, mm. and I almost I was like logging on Twitter to tweet something similar, and I was like, all right, Ben, I already covered it because <laughs> yeah, that yeah, and Danger Cart said it right, lack of effort. We were talking about high altitude, like sometimes you just need an injection, a spark plug, and your team is struggling with e- energy and shooting. Well, what are the two things Peyton Pritchard brings in spades, right? He's going to come out and play hard as hell, and he can shoot the ball. So I I was with you, Ben. I thought Peyton Pritchard should have played. I would have put him in in the first half when we're like the second Brogdon airballs a three and then yeah. like turns it over <laughs> and misses a lob. It's like, ah, maybe I'll try something a little different here. I don't know. Play him with Brogdon. They can play together. There's no reason they can't. Yeah. And if you get him out there when Jokic sits for long periods of time, there's nobody on the Nuggets that can hurt Peyton Pritchard on offense other than Jokic consistently. So, yeah, I, I think this was not Joe's best game. You know, he's coming back from an eye injury. So, <laughs> give players a few games. Yeah, he's a little rusty on the adjustments. This is not a great game from Joe, and I would have loved to see Peyton. Yeah, agreed. And ideally, as that, that Brogdon air ball goes up and the camera starts to pan back to the left, you want to see a little Peyton Pritchard getting up and walking to the scorer's table. That's what we all wanted to see. And that's, that's yeah. the argument for keeping Peyton Pritchard and not including him in some sort of trade package is that health is going to be a question, particularly for Malcolm Brogdon, but potentially smart with the way that he plays, sort of that balls to the wall style. Derek White as well, potentially. And even if not, you need a backup for a healthy Derek White while the other two are injured. Either way, that's the argument for keeping Peyton Pritchard. And if health is a concern, and it looks like potentially it is for Brogdon, we we should be seeing ideally more of Peyton Pritchard. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not the case. I wonder how long Joe sort of holds onto that because obviously for a lot of coaches, there's a sense of like wanting to show confidence and trust in a guy because that's part of lifting them out of a funk. But if it's a physical issue, the hamstring, like you mentioned, time to see a little bit more P, a PP insertion, if you will. I, I will, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, there was some good from the game, you know, other than just like, um, you know, ticking it off as an anomaly and moving on. Jalen Brown, 30 points, 60% from the floor, zero turnovers, and really just the major point of attack and aggression for the Celtics. You see anything new from Jalen from this one? Any new takeaways about Jalen's game out of this one? Um, not really. Denver's a bad defensive team. They don't really force a ton of turnovers. That's exactly the type of team I expect Jalen Brown to feast against. Uh, he He's had a couple horrid threes he's put up the last few games. And I think he had one or two last night where he's got it cooking and he pulls up from like 30. And it's just like, they can't stay in front of you, Jalen. Like you can get like any shot you want against these guys. Don't settle. Don't bail this team out. So, but I think that probably goes back to playing up in the altitude and just being a little tired and a little sluggish. Um, it's hard to go to the rim and get hacked all game long. And uh, so, uh, otherwise, though, I don't think I really saw anything new from him. Did you, Ben? No. And this is where the likeness to T-Mac becomes tiresome because T-Mac didn't win anything. He was awesome. He was fun. Very dynamic player. And maybe, you know, had obviously a propensity for those pull-ups and probably, I don't know, I don't know the stats in front of him, but maybe hit them at a a higher clip. And like you said, in a game like this where the defense don't have anything to throw at a guy like Jalen Brown, he needs to be a little bit more aggressive. But all in all, it was probably a bright spot in an otherwise dark game. I have not checked my... Fantasy League's Slack notifications at all. I'm sure there are some very aggressive taunts 
from my mate Dice sitting there waiting for me, and I just refused to check them. They um, hadn't beat us in like six games. Like how much? I don't how know, much taunting can you really do? Recency bias is a thing, I suppose. Yeah, fair, particularly fair. when it's taunting between mates. So uh, yeah. finally, before we move on, Rob Williams, who is questionable for the OKC game due to knee soreness management, I think is the the official classification there. I thought he was great again in this one. Eighteen minutes, four of four shooting, and just the the defensive tone shift. When he comes yeah. into the game, like we're not offering any new information here, Spoonie, but uh, it's just clear and I suppose comforting to see so soon after his return um, that he's able to offer so much off the bench. Yeah, he had like a nice little back to the basket move yeah. and he had a, a little on him for his first bucket. And I was like, ooh, that combined with, um, I think it was last game or the game before he, it was, I think it was the Clippers game. He had like a he was above the break or around the three point line. And he like took Paul George to the rim and got fouled. And it's like, is this a little something extra Rob has added to his game? Because it's exactly the type of thing he he needs. If he gets like a bam style handle like that, he's going to be a problem. He's mm-hmm. going to be an all-star. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Rob hasn't missed a shot in three games and you're right. Defensively, <laughs> He's like once in a while he chases a dumb block and he almost hurts himself, which always terrifies me. Uh-huh. But uh, I'm with you. I think he's like fantastic. I think he maybe has added a little something to his game, or he's just playing with more confidence and trying stuff. So you you got to feel good uh, about the way Rob's come back, uh, and I can't wait till he starts playing 30, 35 minutes a game because we're just a different team. Yeah, absolutely. Still very clearly in that injury management portion of the comeback, yeah. given that he's questionable for tomorrow's game. Uh, it certainly is at the juncture within his career where he might start to, you know, he's established himself as this sort of rim running defensive center uh, lob threat. And now is at the point where it can start to add, you know, counter moves and post moves and stuff like that. So maybe in this early stage of this comeback, we're, we're starting to yeah. see that. I think there's been a lot of curiosity online, a lot of appetite for this kind of information of what the last year's lineup of death looks like this year so per cleaning the glass and if you're watching on youtube we've got the stats up here on screen in 29 possessions so far since rob's return so small sample size this is the lineup of the jays smart horford rob williams a point differential of zero so if you look over here on the right again if you're watching on youtube they're in the top 96th percentile defensively in terms of points per possession at 106.9 but also allowing exactly that offensively as well so you know, defensively, I'd say it's a little bit more uh, like riding a bike, a little bit more intuitive in terms of picking that mm-hmm. back up and everyone knowing their place on the court and their defensive role. Offensively, a lot of rust there. Spoonie, any any thoughts, particularly offensively, and how this lineup hasn't managed to really find themselves yet? I, I, I'm not too worried about it. I think Rob's um, comeback also is really at the same time we're in a pretty bad shooting slump, especially I feel like Al has, he, he hit a couple tonight in a, a couple of the last few games, but he had been ice cold. Smart's been kind of cold. So I, I think it's probably just a little bit of shooting luck, 29 possessions, a very small sample size. You know, they blow the doors off some team in, you know, in 12 minutes next game, all of a sudden that's going to look really a lot different. So mm-hmm. not too worried about it. I think the defensive signs are really good because that's the lineup where we buttered our defensive bread for to, to make a horrid me- metaphor uh, <laughs> last year. So, yeah, so it's a good sign. Also, I don't, if, if you notice the offensive rebounding percentage of that lineup's at 30%, which is a pretty ridiculously high number. And we had been, I think, the worst offensive rebounding team in the league before Rob got back. And now we're 
climbing up that list very quickly, basically just because of Rob Williams and how insane he is on the offensive glass. So good to have him back. Now, mm-hmm. we're going to move on to, I suppose, the meat of this podcast. Again, if you want more of a deep dive into that Nuggets game, go and listen to the Green with Envy pod. It'll be the, the pod on the Celtics blog feed before this one that you're listening to now. We're going to get into New Year's resolutions for each of the Celtics players, and this is inspired by a Celtics blog article by Daniel Porch. Uh, I suppose the caveat that we should add is that the Celtics are still number one in net rating in the league, despite the disappointing loss yesterday and a few disappointing games as of late as well they've got the seventh best defense and still to date the league's best offense as well and they're really high in turnover percentage and assist to turnover ratio and they're still very very good despite that we are going to nitpick a little bit and some of these resolutions could be positive things to keep doing i suppose spoonie and we're going to work in reverse order before we get started anything you want to add to to sort of set the table for this segment spoons no i let's get into it man justin jackson i'll start be prepared to relinquish your roster spot in the new year, <laughs> Justin Jackson, because <laughs> the buyout market, you know, could be particularly spicy. And, you know, these guys that get bought out and they do have some freedom of choice as far as where they want to go. And the Celtics are very much in that tier of like veterans signing there on, on team friendly deals in order to try and win a ring before the end of their, their career. So I think Justin Jackson's going to be the first to go. I know that he's going to be the first to go in that particular instance. Your your resolution is she, he should start looking for apartments in Portland <laughs> or China, Maine. maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my resolution for Justin Jackson: stop doing dumb stuff in garbage time. Mm. Because if you're an end of a bench guy, the only time you have a chance to show other teams in the league you have NBA skills and your current team you have NBA skills is during garbage time. And it seems like he makes one or two completely boneheaded plays in garbage time. It's like, dude. If you're going to do that in two and a half minutes when you're playing against the other team's end of the bench, like we can't trust you for 10 minutes a night. And that's really where his role is going to be for the for in the league. So stop doing dumb stuff in garbage time. Yep. Or be prepared to relinquish your roster spot. <laughs> that's probably more likely. <laughs> uh, Luke Cornett, Spoons, you want to get us started on this one? Yeah, be more aggressive when you get the ball. Mm. I, I feel like Luke, even he'll catch it even fairly near the hoop, and he like doesn't even look at the rim ever. Uh, and he used to. This was a uh, Daniel in his in his post he, uh, on Celtics blog. He said, "See if the three point shot is back." And yeah, that kind of goes to what I'm saying. Is like be more aggressive. I'm not saying go out there and start gunning Luke, but like you got to at least kind of be a threat on offense. So look to dunk. See if you got a little baby hook there or something like that. And and don't always just look for the handoff every single time you touch the ball. Yeah, good call. I went in a completely different direction. I put Love it. B more of a celebration innovator in that the peak of the Celtics <laughs> powers there. Yes. You know, we saw a lot of uh, all of the Celtics firing at all cylinders in the various, you know, strengths and facets of their game. I'm talking the Cornish game hen. I'm talking the many awesome Luke Cornet celebrations we saw at that time. And since then, there's been a huge drop-off in innovative celebrations. I'd like to see Luke Cornett pick that back up in the new year and make it a, a you know part of who he is on the Celtics. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Z, Z Gamer with a great comment. The green Cornet is selfless to a fault, a common weakness of most superheroes. Yes, that's exactly right. Love it. I'm going to start us off with Blake Griffin. Uh, really, I just want to see more of this. He gets one from White. Now he gives it to White. Oh, Blake Griffin. 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 
That's it. That's all I got for Blake Griffin. I'm a simple yeah, man with simple needs. Blake, please, please bust out a windmill for Ben. It's all he texts in our group texts about. Please bust out a windmill for Ben. That's all I got. I'm becoming quite one-dimensional as a person. That's yes. all I ever ask for nowadays. Uh, Noah Vonley, Spoonie, what are, you, what are your wishes and New Year's resolution hopes for Noah Vonley? Stop the dumb fouls. Just stop. The du- set your feet on picks like don't reach in keep your hands straight up like if a guy makes a shot over you he makes a shot over you stop with the leaning on top of guys and trying to keep block their shots like you're just not just keep your hands straight stop the dumb fouls yeah I had the same thing <laughs> i call nice. it nice com- all right competitive fouling stop being a yeah. competitive foul there's there's yeah. that's not the way to sort of uh, stamp your mark on the game there's other ways to contribute to a basketball game namely scoring rebounding defending Fouling, not one of those things. Not fouling. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Danilo Gallinari. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I put embrace reality as a trade asset, <laughs> which I think is I lo- potentially in his near future. What do you got for, for Gallo there? I, I, we haven't heard any chatter, and like I would feel so bad about trading Gallo with all the posts he makes. He clearly like loves the Celtics mm-hmm. and keeps posting him in his jersey and like shooting jumpers. So I was going to say try and get healthy, you know, by April so you can work yourself into, you know, even a small playoff role. Yeah, I'd be happy with either. It's just we want to see, a, you know, the championship window, you know, is tragically narrow for all teams, even ones that look like they'll be dynastic in the near future yeah. and just we need to just do with Gallo whatever's going to help the team now. And if he can come back Agreed. healthy-ish for the playoffs, great. Otherwise, let's flip him for someone who can contribute in the postseason. Peyton Pritchard, what do you got, Spoonie? Get better at lob passes. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like he almost never throws lobs. He pl- he plays with Cornette. He's going to be playing with Rob when he plays. Like, Start looking for lobs because it'll add an entirely different dimension to his game. I feel like he can get into the paint. But when he gets there, he often can't get a shot off. Well, you can throw it 15 feet in the air and Rob Williams will jump and get it. So if you get better at timing those lob passes, get more accurate with them, figure out how to get them off when mm-hmm. you're only six feet, six foot one. Um, so that would be my thing for Pritchard. I put acceptance of the importance of his role, and which is mm-hmm. clearly quite boring for him. He's obviously getting, hopefully, a lot of run in practice and in warm-ups, and then not a lot of run in even a game like uh, the, the Denver game yesterday, where we clearly needed that PP insertion. But it is an important <laughs> role, <laughs> and it's, it's important because when guys like Brogdon or White or whoever are injured or everything we already discussed in that dynamic, but we need a backup in that sense. And it's boring to play that role. I get it. But in a team that's looking to win a title, it's kind of essential. So, you know, who am I to ask Peyton Pritchard to to have that level of acceptance for that in his career? But that's kind of what we need him to do. So we just kind of need him to accept it for for the sake of the dynamic of the team and the roster overall. Yeah, it's really hard to do, too. It, it's a really difficult role. Um, but yeah, I think you're spot on there. Sam Hauser? Learn what to do after a pump fake. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> he pump fakes and guys fly by him. And then he often will be like, uh, do I shoot? Do I, I guess I'll try to drive. He's yeah. had one or two nice little reverse layups after a pump fake, but... Like, just get more confident. Once you pump fake the guy, he flies by you. If you have confidence and you know what you can do with the ball, whether it's Grant learned the relocation three where he pump fakes, takes one dribble, resets, and fires, learn that. 
learn something Hmm. because guys are going to fly at you and they already are. And he's still shooting the ball and it's not going in because he's getting these crazy hard contests. So if he can start punishing that, I think his shot will come back. Learn what to do after a pump fake, Sam. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it might, if he did make that adjustment, contribute to what Daniel had in his article and what I have in in my notes here as well, which is just conquer the slump. Like find your shot again and learn how to shoot under even just a sprinkle of duress because that early stretch of the season, there was none of that. Defenses were- Wide open. Yeah, magnetized (laughs) towards the Jays. And now they're sort of, they've learned about house money and the house party and all the various other house of puns and uh, they're defending him. So he needs to learn how to adjust to that. Malcolm Brogdon, I've put tighten the handle and then reconnect with the team as well. There might be a bit of a, a health cloud hovering over him like we talked about Spoonie. So maybe there's less validity to these, but his handle is loose and- I've almost seen him like dribble into the paint with his head down a little bit as well. I don't feel like he's necessarily aware of his surroundings, which is so strange to say about him because like the 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 description of of Malcolm Brogdon when he when he came to the team and previously in his career is like this really heady guy who just like knows ball and understands how to conduct that orchestra and we just haven't seen that since that pre-hamstring injury stretch. So that and reconnect with the team as far as like learning how to play with guys like Rob Williams, who he said he missed a couple of lob attempts to, uh, we need that development from from Brogdon's side in the new year. Yeah, we're on the same same wavelength here. I was going to say look to pass more when you drive, but did I not? I, I said it when we first got him. I was like, Brogdon is not a natural. He is a scorer first and second. He is just not a natural passer, man. Mm-hmm. And with the weapons on this team and the crowds he can draw when he drives, like, man, pick your head up, pass the ball. Uh, but yeah, and Z Gamer saying it, he needs to finish better. He absolutely needs to finish better. He's missed some absolute bunnies in the last month or so. Totally. Grant Williams, I've put re-simplify your game with quick decisions. So, you know, we talked about the adjustments that he's added to his game and the, the counter moves. I'd just like to see him get into that move much more quickly I feel like he's putting the defense back into an advantageous position by being a little slow in deciding what he's going to do off the catch. I think that's the natural progression in any game. You add these counter moves and then you just become more efficient in executing them. And we're just sort of at the beginning of that slope for for Grant Williams. Yeah, that same kind of idea, I would say, is shoot with a light contest more. Mm. It's like any contest, he pump fakes. Like, dude... In the playoffs, you're going to have to let it fly with light contests. Like these guys are not closing out on you. They're not flying at you anymore because you've showed you can pump fake and get to the rim or make a play. Like let it fly. Like he's clearly not comfortable when there's a guy near him. Well, the only way you're going to get comfortable is to shoot that shot. So let it fly with even a lightish contest. Totally. I'd put Grant in like the top of my confidence rating as far as all of these little nitpicky asks that we're bestowing on these guys in the new year. I'd say I'm most confident that Grant Williams can make that adjustment just because he's, he's clearly such an intelligent guy who's capable of, of growing his game. He's clearly a super hard worker too. I think that's probably why the Jays, you know, as much as they kind of little brother him, seem to really like Grant, gravitate sure. towards Grant. I can see that Grant is going to has bust his ass and become a better player during the season and the offseason. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I fully expect Grant to have a great second half. Derek White. Know that your aggressiveness is an essential part of this team's success. Tatum, I think, called him out recently. Not called him out, but just sort of attributed that uh, in a recent post-game interview where we saw it in stretches of the game yesterday against Denver where when Derek's out there pushing the pace, um, you know, either in transition out of makes or off misses, 
and just like immediately penetrating and either finishing, he's drawing a lot of contact and get it to the free throw line or making the right pass, you know, once the defense collapses on him, once he gets into the paint there. When he's really aggressive and really pushes the ball like that, it feels like that's the best version of this team. But he's not always doing that. And obviously, there are variables there like fatigue and, you know, um, Joe and the team calling other offensive sets and formats. But for the most part, when Derek White is pushing the ball in transition, this be- this team is the best that they can be. Same thing. Stay aggressive. Keep yep. being aggressive. Every single game, every possession, every time you're in. What have you got for Rob Williams? Just don't hurt yourself. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's it. Don't hurt yourself, Rob. Yeah. I, I put exploit. You're perfect. Yeah, you are almost perfect. I would say, and we're really getting into the nitpicky side of this, but exploit post mismatches. We saw him do it yesterday. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, the move on Paul George as well. I think he got Bones Highland, or it might have been Bruce Brown, but someone way smaller than him in the in the Denver game. But like, all right, let's keep pulling the thread on that one because that's um, particularly exciting. Al Horford, what do you think, Spoons? Um, just take care of your body. Uh, be five years I, younger. I, yeah, be five years younger. It's difficult. Trust me. <laughs> uh, I, Al, I, I really think like just be open to playing less minutes and that's not really something he can control but i'd like to see al you know he's really played a lot of minutes already this year i'd like Mm. to see him downshift now that rob's getting back healthy to like the mid-20s um because anytime he cracks 30 it just scares me i put embrace undetectable peds which i think could no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that would be wonderful let's be fair probably every nba player is already doing that yeah yeah al should really be exploring that uh post passing i think is something that we could look at through al which is sort of it's a non-impactful element to one's game where you can just like get your back to the basket in the post there catch the ball and then find a cutter it's not like we're asking you to like move and twist and jump and land among feet where you can twist your ankles um I'm saying that as a very, you know, unathletic, inactive 35-year-old man. Uh, but his assist percentage is the lowest that it's been since his rookie year. So I know that we know that he's a capable playmaker. So I'd like to see oh, us yeah. uh, using Al uh, in that format. Marcus Smart, hard, hard to pick, uh, to pick on, on Marcus Smart, but limit the flair. I feel like, we, you know, we talked about that table-setting element of Smart's game. Sometimes, kind of like Jalen with those threes that he jacks up that you mentioned earlier, Spoonie, Marcus Smart gets a little too confident and starts to add this sort of razzle-dazzle to his game. Then he'll kick off a little series of turnovers within an otherwise perfect game. If he can do away with that, then it's just going to help him become an even more perfect point guard for this team. I love that one. It just I think back to that off the backboard oop to Jalen. He tried that one time. That was just like, what are you doing? Yeah, just don't do Uh, that. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say set the tone on defense every night because I feel like you can you can tell in like a fourth quarter when Smart is just like dragging the defense on his back and destroying the ball every time on a pick and roll. Like we've seen it often and it's really hard to do when you're also carrying the load as the, the primary point guard. But I feel like at times, especially earlier in the year, and again, this is nitpicking because Smart's these last couple are all going to be nitpicks because they're all incredible players. Mm. And But I feel like at times he's gotten a little lazy fighting through screens and he does this thing where he like dives and falls to try to get the illegal screen call. Like, just stop, dude. You're mm. like the best screen navigator in the league. Like, if someone gets you, they're going to get you and they'll probably call it. 
But otherwise, just get through the screen. We know you can do it. You're so good at it. So please just keep setting the tone on defense. He does seem to be really good at identifying when screeners have their scowl again, calls us out all the time, when screeners have their feet wider than their shoulders, and then yep. you're kind of flopping on those screens. But yeah. yeah, for the most part, like just defend and stop focusing on, you know, uh, convincing the, the ref. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, who else we got here? Okay. Two very important players. <laughs> Jalen Brown. Pretty important. What have you got for JB? Uh, I, I think I already really said it. And. Um, that was probably was on my mind because I was thinking about this segment is just like stop with the terrible threes. He doesn't take many of them. Again, this is an incredible nitpick. I'm not even going to talk about the turnovers. Mm-hmm. Like it's just he, the playmate. Like it's just not going to happen in the middle of a season, man. So the one thing that's definitely controllable is 30 foot pull ups with 12 seconds on the shot clock. Just like just just stop it. Totally. please. Yeah, this, what I've got is is probably less controllable than that because it, I think it's just part of who he is, but the defensive awareness or lack thereof as it pertains to- I was to, picking between those yeah, two, man. I kid you not, yeah. Like, I, in my mind, I have this sort of low light reel of JB being backdoor cut for wide open dunks and layups for the opposition, and that just doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. But it is a mindset. It's It's just like, pay attention. Right at all times yeah. defensively, and like maybe you could try harder to do that. So I think that's a semi-realistic resolution. The first thing I learned about defense, obviously, like I was not a great basketball player. I was probably better than you expect for a huge nerd at my height, <laughs> right? But I was okay. not like good. Yeah, um, okay. Is like you need to be in a position where you can see your man and you can see the ball. Mm. So you need to like shift your shoulders, shift your feet. Jalen does not do that. It's like he's guarding the ball when he's on the corner shooter and he's just looking at the ball. And then, yeah, you're right. Backdoor cut, backdoor cut, backdoor cut. So, like, just get back to the fundamentals on defense. Ball you man. Ball you man. Yeah. And at that level, like you're a pro, you live and breathe basketball, you have a team of coaches and assistants and trainers around you constantly trying to craft you into the best player possible. The mind boggles as to why that little thing can't be addressed. I know. Anyway. Nitpicking. Jason Tatum, what do you got, Spoons? This one's going to be hard, this, I think. No, 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 no. This one's very easy. Okay. And we all talk about it endlessly. Stop complaining to the refs. Oh, yeah, sure. They hate you. They very clearly hate you, Jason. <laughs> Stop yelling at them and showing that. It's okay to be like, look, man, why wasn't that one called? But being like slapping, clapping, and screaming at them, like that is not useful. Mm. Stop. Mm-hmm. And get back on defense. Yeah, that same idea, like one in the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I put three point shooting, and obviously the 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 difficulty of the three point attempts that Tatum puts up is you know above average compared to you know um, other players within the league, and then free throw shooting as well. There's been a pretty notable dip in his free throw percentage recently. I don't know if that's the wrist, which I I think is his guide hand, but you know fundamentally yeah, yeah. sound shooters, the guide hand is still very important. Um, Three-point percentage, I think that that needs to go up. Uh, It's well below his career average at the moment. I don't know the exact stats. I I checked them on cleaning the glass before we started recording, and it has dipped lower and lower, really, as the season has progressed. So if you can turn that around, as he often has done in prior seasons, at at around this time, then obviously that opens up his drive game and his passing game as well, and everything sort of um, falls off of that. So I'd really like to see uh, him improve that. But for the most part, I feel like Jason Tatum is... 100% 100% the perfect human specimen and has no faults. <laughs> Basketball robot. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, look, to finish up here, we're going to go with a recent post on Celtics Reddit throwback by user yeah. C of the East. And the post is titled, What is your 
Celtics hot take. And here, here are some notable ones. Uh, one is the only team I want to avoid in the playoffs is the one team we swept a year ago, the Nets. I do still think we're a better team and can prevail, but they're going to give us all that they got in the name of revenge. Two more here. I'm afraid of Missoula being a Budenholzer Budenhol- a type that doesn't make adjustments if things don't work, especially in the postseason. Okay. And then finally, the Celtics are playing great basketball and the shots they take are good shots. They're just not falling. Those are three hot takes from that thread. Spoonie, do you have a hot take for us? I First of all, I agree with the Nets one, and I agree with the last one there that I do think we've been playing really well. Um, but Bud won a ring, yeah. <laughs> and he learned to make adjustments. So like, if he becomes Bud, yeah, it might be a little annoying, but not the end of the world. Uh, yeah, this is very spicy. I don't know if I, I don't really believe it, but I'm just going to put it out in the universe. I think we're going to regret trading Aaron Neesmith for Malcolm Brogdon. Oh, okay. You told me about what your hot take might be, that it was going to be spicy before we started recording. That did pop into my head. playing better than Brogdon has over the last couple weeks. Obviously, small sample size, not, not a big deal. Brogdon's clearly a better player right now, but if Neesmith keeps up on this upward trajectory, he's exactly the type of third wing we need, which Mm. is what I always said and always hoped for him. And Brogdon and White are pretty redundant. Like, I know when it's in the playoffs and we're against the Warriors, we're going to need Brogdon's ball handling. But man, I just can't help think in like three years, it's going to be like, oh, wish we held on to Neesmith somehow. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe not. I'll probably look dumb. But and again, not sure I really believe it, but that's my spicy hot take. I'll give you one. And this, your take is very interesting. And I, I hope that it doesn't bear out to be true because then what my hot take is, maybe it's not a hot take, uh, has no chance. And that is that the Celtics are winning the title this year. And <laughs> All right. this is the beginning of a Warriors style uh, dynastic run. So I think that, that so many of the little issues that we have, Spoonie, are because of our two best players. Our leaders are like 26 or under. And yeah. I think that will sort of self resolve as they enter their true prime and mature a little bit and round out the leadership like aspect and component of not only their games, but their personalities as well. I think people forget like how young our two best players are when it comes to leading a team beyond the finals and into championship glory. Like You really do need to be a well-rounded character. You're yeah. both on and off the court. And you know, I think they've got to learn from their mistakes last year. I think that ultimately, as we get into the postseason, the roster has been pretty perfectly populated by Brad Stevens. And I think that they're really, really well poised, despite what we saw yesterday against the Nuggets, to win the title this year. Like, Spoon, if you, if you had to bet your house on who would win the title this year, would you not bet on the Celtics? No, I, I definitely would. Hmm. Um, I think that's a great point. I think Tatum has actually been kind of open about how he's not really a natural vocal leader. And I think Al has had quotes this year where it has been wipes the sweat from his the summer in Australia from his brow here. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I think Al has had some quotes where he said like, hey, Tatum has really started to command the room in a different way this season. I think, you know, it's weird to say, but the finals loss might have been the best thing ever for Jason Tatum's career because it just kind of showed him like you need to be just a little bit more. And it's not even a little bit more in your skills and in your game. It's about how you manage the locker room and treat your teammates. 
and just be the guy that bears the burden of the losses unless you're LeBron who always was hurt or shifted blame because he didn't have enough help when he lost. But don't be that guy. Mm. Be Steph Curry, right? Be that leader for the team that they can look to on and off the court. And I, I think he's you're right. He and and Jalen, I think, was a little bit more of a natural leader in that sense. Um, I think they're both maturing into that very nicely. And I, I think it bodes very well for our championship odds this year. And would you trade th- the next three years of the Celtics for any other team? Like, I, I don't think I would as Memphis is maybe the only team you could think. But I, I think they're kind of fake that Green with Envy guys talked about it. And yeah. I agreed with what um, Greg was saying that basically. He doesn't think they're a true championship contender. So I think you take the next three years of the Celtics against anybody. I think if the Pelicans land Wemby, then we yeah, might have that's to a revisit good point. that. But mm. for now, Pelicans, yeah. pre-draft, I'm taking Celtics. And you know, if you're listening to this for some reason, not being a Celtics fan, you might be like, okay, Celtics podcasters say as a hot take that the Celtics will win the title. That's that's not very hot takey. I like personally. And my approach to fandom for the team, I'm, I'm pretty, and Spoonie, you know this about me, I'm pretty doomsday, I'm pretty anxious. Yes, and I, anxious, I tend yes. To see, I'm, I'm quite neurotic in my approach and tend to always worry that, you know, things are going to unravel and go wrong. And despite all that, despite that part of my personality, I do feel very confident about this team's title hope. So I guess to me, it's a hot take to sort of begin to accept my own internal confidence in the Celtics maybe winning a title. So for me, it feels like a hot take. The other hot take is that Horford, the Jays, Marcus Smart and Brad Stevens will all make the Hall of Fame. Oh, I love it. Al, I think, is the question mark. The two championships in at Florida really help his case. Um, But Smart, uh, he's got to probably bring up a couple more uh, DPOYs or make some all-star teams. Well, the dynastic portion of my previous hot take needs to be Fair. true for these. Right. And yeah, then it's okay. like, okay, it. yeah. Brad Stevens yeah. built a dynasty. You know, it was very successful as a college Brad, coach, I as think. an NBA coach, as a team builder, and then smart as the table setter for that dynasty Celtics team. All feeds into that Hall of Fame prediction. Yeah. I have one more. Please. We could not win the title this year and still have a successful season. Okay. Say more. Like if. If we lose in the Eastern Conference Finals to seven against the fully healthy Nets or something like that, or if we go up against the Nuggets and lose in seven, um, which I don't, I think we would blow the doors off the Nuggets in the finals, but, you know, or we go against the Warriors and Steph is stupid hot for four games and you just cannot stop him and he's making 35 footers, it's still a successful season. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't win a ring, and I know people that I feel like that's a pretty hot take with the fan base right now because yeah. I think people are very much expecting them to win this year. Which, like, even the highest odds have us at like 20 percent to win the title. Yeah. Right? That is not that's far from a guarantee. In fact, it's far more likely we don't win. Mm-hmm. So I I would put that into the universe. Well, look, that's going to help to simmer me down and hopefully some listeners as well from the, the hot take that I threw out there. So very interesting. And go check out that, that Reddit thread in its entirety because there's some really interesting thoughts and, and comments in there. All right, that is going to do it for this one. The Green with Envy guys are going to be back with another pod on this feed on Thursday-ish. Then we'll round out the week with another pod on Friday-ish. Make sure you subscribe to the Celtics blog podcast feed. It's going to be chock full of content every week of 2023 and beyond. Wayne Spoonie, who you can find at WSpoonie on Twitter. Love your work, mate. Thanks again.
Thanks, man. Hey, real quick, I'm writing something about Jalen Brown. Ooh. So look for that in the next couple of days. Yeah, Jamba Juice, the many flavors of Jalen's mid-range game. <laughs> Hell yeah, I look forward to reading that. All right, make sure you keep an eye on Celtics blog and Spoonie's Twitter for that one, people. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace. <laughs>